friend, it's Kathleen Estes. Welcome to the Texas Football Mom Podcast, a show where we'll chat with some amazing guests about faith, family, and of course, football. When I think about the men that have influence on my sons, other than their dad, it would have to be their coaches. And today I am so excited to introduce all of you that are listening to this podcast to a friend of mine, a coworker, and someone who has coached for many years in the game, Coach George Oaks. Welcome. Well, thank you, Kathleen. I appreciate it. It's, it's such a- an honor to have you today on the podcast. I want to hear a little bit about your story and how you got involved in the game of football. Well, when I was in elementary school. Okay. I lived in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Ah, oh, the Steelers. And the Steelers. And we used to play football in our backyard, and et cetera. But it was a walking distance to go to the practice field where the Steelers worked out. Wow. And so there happened to be very, uh, they were doing very well at that particular point in time. Bobby Lane, who happened to be a graduate from University of Texas way back when, okay. was a quarterback. He set records. And there happened to be the largest player in the game at the time called Big Daddy Lipscomb. Okay. And he was about six, seven or so and very huge. And so here we were, very impressionable young people, sure. especially young men, watching them be able to perform on the field. But during the practice, they would come into the stands where we were and just interact with us. They'd pick us up, you know, oh, and how fun. it was very impressionable. And so seeing that, getting in the love of the game at that point in time, but then traveling from Pittsburgh to Alaska, I didn't have the opportunity to play any high school football. Not a whole lot of football. No Friday night lights in Alaska? <laughs> None. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we did play, but I was using snow. Yes, <laughs> More I got you. Else. Then we moved to New Mexico, and I was introduced to high school football there, organized sports at Las Cruces, New Mexico, playing at Mayfield High School. And then as a sophomore, I was playing and played a running back and. I was also a tight end at the time, so I had some speed, they thought. Nice. <laughs> then moved to El Paso my junior year because of the ruling at the time that Texas was recruiting players from outside of the state. They no, made us, Texas they, they, wouldn't do that. <laughs> they had a ruling that said you were ineligible for one year wow. to play varsity sports. Wow. Is that still in effect? No, I don't okay. think so. Interesting. Not, not like it was at one point in time. Okay, so you had to be on junior varsity. Correct. Okay, was that a, difficult for you? Do you remember? Well, with all your peers playing varsity, and yeah, yeah at the mm-hmm. same time, it was it was a good experience, though. Yeah. Yeah. Being able to wait until my turn came around and then had the opportunity to do very well my senior year individually. We as a team didn't do well, but... <laughs> But you had a good year. I had a good you year. You got an offer to go play <laughs> yes. at the next level. I had the privilege of making all district and then had the opportunity awesome. to go on to a four-year scholarship at University of New Mexico and actually finished up that four years playing in the East-West Shrine game as a, as one of the players picked from that, the senior class all across the states. That's yeah, fantastic. So yeah, it was, yes, it was. And so it was a great experience at University of New Mexico, but one of the things that probably the most precious memory is the factor that the coach's influence on my life, as you had mentioned earlier. Yeah, and what was that like for you? Well, there was one coach by the name of Jerry Somerville. He happened to be a Marine drill instructor. Okay. So he wore the, actually dressed the part, had a cap and had a stick, and he'd come oh out in, in the spring practice 
and he didn't have a governor on his mouth at all, but he would just let whatever explicit out that he needed to get our attention to be able to get us to do what was necessary. And you didn't want to necessarily have him on your bad side at all. I so guess not. When he said jump, you said how high? Okay. Mm-hmm. But the following year, my junior year, all of a sudden the hat was gone. Mm-hmm. The stick was gone. And instead of all these wonderful words that were coming out of his mouth that would cause people to be cringe, he was saying PTL. Praise the Lord. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So he so, had transformed. He had an experience that transformed his life, and, and he was in, ter- in charge of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So that became a very influential part of my life at that point in time. Awesome. But I didn't actually make the decision to be converted or follow Jesus at that time, not until I'd finished the, uh, my career there at University of New Mexico did I come to a, have it, a true conversion experience that's awesome it's amazing how much faith is a part of football oh it is which is incredible and that that coach yes was able to make an impact on your life at that time what would you say were some of the main differences between playing at the high school level and playing in college well high school level you'll have a spattering of talent that's within the team Mm -hmm. that's uh truly influencing the i'd say the speed of the game or the power of the game and you might experience a hit that two or three or four hits that you'll always remember. Yeah. But when the, the college level, which is true even when you go up even to a greater level as far as professional is concerned, but at the college level, you're going to experience that hit probably every series, if not more. Right. Did you ever experience any injuries that sidelined you for long periods of time through your I career? didn't necessarily miss any games, but I was okay. bandaged up very much so. You thought I was a mummy. But nothing was stopping you, huh? No. <laughs> That's awesome. I had some operations after the season, yes, but no. Okay. Yes. Okay, so what caused you to um, want to go into coaching of the game? Well, the factor of the influence I saw that the coaches had over the young men mm-hmm. that I was involved with and seeing that the character development was happened to be with the men, the coaches that I was with, it wasn't necessarily the winning that was the most important thing as much as being a winner in life, the character mm-hmm. aspect. And being able to, I'd say, impart that unto others and have that influence in others' lives. And I thought there, are, a coach probably influences more people or more young men than any other profession in, that I could come across. That's awesome. Other than teaching, probably teaching as far as influencing mm-hmm. many other students. Yes. So uh, you transitioned into coaching. Correct. And where where was that at? Well, after I finished my degree at the University of New Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, well, just prior to finishing it, I was a, if you were a graduate assistant, they call it, you okay. know, working with the coaches after I'd finished up my eligibility. And then I played some semi-pro ball during the summer and was involved with being recruited to become a coach up in Colorado or New Mexico or down in El Paso and decided to stay in the New Mexico area. And so uh, because we wanted to stay closer to family, family was in that given area. So chose to stay in that given area. Las Cruces was the first area where I, after I graduated, became a, a coach and taught. You know, it was teaching was the primary profession and coaching was the secondary profession. And what did you teach? <laughs> I taught high school sciences, biology. Oh. Chemistry, physics, along that line. At that time, it was biology. Okay. And uh, <laughs> yes, that was quite an experience too, being able to have the influence on the young people concerning their education. But uh, 
that was also the time period in which our nation was going through such tumultuous periods mm. of things that were going on. One, that's when, if you will, the Vietnam War was oh, going wow. on when I was going through college mm-hmm. and, and school. And that's also when the sexual revolution came about, where right. all the changing and as far as dress was concerned, hair length, belts, uh-huh. shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Whether uh, and it is the factor of what also took place as far as the Jesus movement that sure. came into being at that point. And that's what was key with me coming to know Christ at that point, at that point in time, and being able to use that influence in school and uh, with the students and with the players. It's so. fantastic. So, w- at what point did you land at Lake Travis High School? <laughs> well, after. Being in Las Cruces, I moved El, uh, around in New Mexico in different mm-hmm. places, then went to El Paso, Texas, and, and was involved there. Then got involved with Christian schools besides public schools. Okay. I was an administrator of some private Christian schools, and then moved up to Tulsa, Oklahoma. You know, And in Tulsa, Oklahoma, got involved with a, a work called Victory Christian Center with Billy Joe Doherty, and was the athletic director, and we started the football program, eventually up in that area. Okay. And then from Tulsa... I moved down to Colleen, Texas, uh-huh. and and Colleen was involved with Ellison High School, and Colleen High School, and from Colleen I happened to move down to McAllen, Texas, you know, and was involved teaching and coaching at all these different areas, and uh, back into public schools, as much as I had an opportunity to teach at my alma mater in El Paso, and coach there also at one point in time, from McAllen in South Texas, moved up to Lake Travis and had the opportunity to be involved with the program for the last 10 years of my career. But what brought me to to Lake Travis was the fact that I had a daughter and had family living in Austin. Okay. But the head coach who got the job for Lake Travis happened to be a rival coach down in McAllen. He was at Mission. We were at Nicky Rowe, and we happened to beat them. What was it, 64 to 24 Ah, so there was the some respect before. there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Finally, yes. <laughs> he did not shake our hand as the game was over. Uh-oh. <laughs> he just walked <laughs> off. But he didn't hold it against me when he recruited me and wanted me to be part of the, the program at Lake Travis. And what was your position there at the school? I was, well, I was teaching sciences, mm-hmm. high school sciences, biology, et cetera. That was the main profession. And I was involved with the defensive line on the defensive side of the ball, which happens to be the best portion of football. Is it now? Now, what made you fall in love with the defense side of the game? Well, if in turn you want to be hit or do you want to hit? Ah. (laughs) That was a major question. And enjoying hitting others rather than being hit, that was one of the motivations, yes. And the strategy of being able to react. Mm. A lot of the, the advantage the offense has is they know what they're going to do. Right. And when the height, so the aspect of the adrenaline rush that you get to react to that to be able to be better than what they are presenting to you is it's fulfilling. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about defense because you know, as a mom, I I've watched the game for years, but I'm getting a deeper understanding of it, and I've realized my son is playing defense this year, that I've typically always just watched the offense. And now I'm starting to watch the defense and how they move. And so I've always heard 
offense wins games, but defense wins championships. Exactly. Right? I was going to say that has to be said soon. Okay, good. Well, <laughs> I, I said it. it. And uh, so I was asking you a few questions. You were trying to explain to me before we started this interview a little bit about the gap and how the gap is so important. Correct. The whole defense is based on gap integrity. Okay. The gaps are the openings which the offense is looking to be able to create and be able to create a running lane. Mm -hmm. If the defense can mesh with the gap and fill the gap with the men that they have on their side, they'll, they'll actually have a wall that prevents the offense from being able to accomplish their goal. <laughs> and that so, makes perfect sense to me, I have to say. So explain to me, when you as a defensive coach are looking at the offense, how in the game do they decide when they're going to be man-to-man and when they're going to do the zone coverage? Like, I've never really understood that. <laughs> well, also it depends on the talent Okay. of the receiver. Okay, if it's a receiver that is possibly going to be dominant, so Odell Beckham's out there. Yeah, Odell Beckham's out there. Mm -hmm. what do you, you don't want to necessarily go man-to-man -man with that. You okay. want to be able to get as much help as possible with him. And so you look at possibly favoring that particular side of the field with a zone to where you're covering, you're waiting for the offense to declare where they're actually going to go as far as their area is concerned. And then you're playing especially if they're already favoring to the left, let's say, mm -hmm. you're going to have more people in a zone pattern over there picking up receivers that come in their area versus the backside where there might not be a threat as much as there is the threat on the, the front side of it. Okay, so if if someone, if a team has a star receiver and that star receiver is injured, they might switch to man-to-man. -man. What would be the advantages of that? That way, uh, in turn, you're able to cover more people. Well, the zone, you're able to cover more people than the, if you will with man-to-man. -man. But man-to-man, -man, you're able to play face-to-face, -face, disrupt their uh, capability of the routes. You're able to be able to uh, make a tackle more with a quicker response than if you were just in the zone as such. You don't necessarily have to choose the, which receiver is coming into your area and make sure that's the one. They try to run confusion, confusing mm -hmm. patterns. They'll try to run multiple people in the same zone to get the person that's guarding and taking care of that zone to have to make a decision and instead of being able to know exactly whose his is. And so man-to-man -man makes it easier on the cornerback, the safety, to know who their responsibility Four. is mm -hmm. versus the zone having to read who the primary responsibility will become because they could have two or three people come into that given area and there is a primary defender taking care of the zone but there's also a secondary form a secondary responsibility for someone else to come in and bring help if there's multiple people in that area of coverage okay so here i am a mom <laughs> watching the game and my son plays the position of corner correct how do I know if he's the one responsible for that person or if the safety's the one responsible for that person? Like, how would I know that just watching as the play forms? Well, it depends on the coverage that's called. It's okay, really, so I wouldn't, basically. Really I just not. have there, to be nervous. Sometimes, yes. <laughs> sometimes he's going to have a zone where he's coming forward and they rotate. They call mm -hmm. it cloud. 
Okay. Okay. And actually, that means the coroner is going to have the responsibility of the zone that's closest, and he has to take care of anything that's as far as the run is concerned, as far as contain is concerned. So he's got that zone where the safety has to rotate over, and he'll happen to be the deep man. Then they call sky, where that's a different. This okay. okay, sky. This is a universal. These language. are universal terms. You're not right. giving away secrets. Sky being safety, cloud being corner. Oh, that makes C sense. And the C and that's the what S. they use. Okay. They use a, a, the same thing for direction. They'll call Liz for left, or they'll call Ram for right. Oh. Okay, the first letter of each thing is what they'll usually use. And they'll have different things to give indication to them. They'll even communicate with their fingers and hands mm -hmm. of what responsibility, what zone they have. And they'll talk to each other in that format. Because sometimes they can't hear each other, hear what's going on out on the field. But it all depends on who, if he's got, if it's a cloud situation where he's got responsibility, or if it's sky, sky. safety's okay. got responsibility, that determines who goes up, who comes back, and who's got the deep, who's got the shallow. Wow. So, Coach, when you were preparing for games, um, it amazes me, even in high school football, the amount of film that's watched, <laughs> people that scout the teams that you're playing. Like, how, how did you ever get to spend time with your family, teaching <laughs> class and coaching and preparing for the next games? Well, that's, you understand it's going to be a sacrifice. Yeah. It's usually 80 to 100 hours a week. Wow. Yeah, it's a seven-day responsibility in those cases and so uh that's the way it was at lake travis for sure you know we were committed to you know the first you know the five days and preparation of the game day and game day goes until 12 o'clock sometimes at night right. afterwards and then saturday the film coming in and having to show the film of that game and then start after we do that then we would break down the upcoming team's film that we would have and do that all saturday and then if the head coach is kind enough, he'd let us have set a Sunday morning off, but we'd usually come in at probably 11 to 12 at mm -hmm. that given point in time and spend the rest of the afternoon preparing the scouting report that was necessary to give to the young men on Monday morning and um, finish up the film. Thank you for all the hours that you oh. and all your colleagues have, have put in. Um, what is the thing that you feel is most helpful from moms as a coach? How can moms make it better <laughs> uh, enthusiasm I'm not sure what that means <laughs> enthusiasm is caught not mm -hmm. taught yeah in the fact that uh, someone is believes that the coaches had the best in mind for the players mm -hmm. and their sons yeah it takes and trust so, yes it does it does and uh, and also it's that responsibility of the coaches to be able to let the parents know we really do care for your young man we mm -hmm. won't put him in a position to where we want him to be in jeopardy or or injury but uh we want to be able to prepare him mentally physically spiritually to be the best person they could possibly be whenever activity is involved in in life but it i think it is if you will in our western society we don't have what most other tribal communities or cultures have right. where they had the the passage from mm -hmm. man, from childhood to manhood, right. like here in this society, we have what we call adolescence, and a lot of other societies or cultures never really have an adolescence. They were either a child and then became a man or a woman at the age of twelve or fifteen or whatever you want. Yeah, and I believe that, in a sense, this is a form of a passageway into men to help them learn their responsibility and take responsibility and be able to mature in their character and be who the Lord God has created them to be.
That's beautiful. And I, I have to agree that I love the life lessons that I see are being learned through being on a team and being on the field. And um, you, you don't always get what you want, which that's, right. that's how life happens sometimes. But And that it's not all about you, that that's it's right. about the team and what you're adding to the team in that moment. I know that as a man of faith, prayer has been um, uh, a big part of just who you are. So I know that probably impacted your years of coaching as well. How do you typically pray when you're going into game mode? Because, you know, what if God has children that he's really rooting for on both teams? So how do you approach prayer for game day? (laughs) I love it. Thank you, Kathleen, for bringing that up. Uh, I believe our father loves football. I do, too. I tell you, and thank God for football. Yes. And I think that he is rooting for everybody. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is so much he being for someone else more so than the other, mm-hmm. as it is the faith that the individual players have to draw on the empowerment that mm-hmm. he's given us by his grace. The more that we are unified within our unit, because a team can have a lot of talent, but not necessarily be have the synergism of unity sure. to be able to maximize the ability as a team and be the best team on the field. Right. The key is who's going to be the best team on the field that evening, and that might be the one that has a lesser talent because they are able to be able to be unified, watching each other back, mm-hmm. the love that they have for one another, the encouragement they have for one another, all the emotional ups and downs that can happen in the uh, and during a game will determine whether an attitude stays true or if it goes south. Right. And so the attitude is the key as far as the game is concerned. So the players love for one another and care for one another and understanding that they're drawing on the, the truths of who our Father God is for them and what he said he's imparted to them as far as the capability of enduring mm-hmm. the cap- through his grace to be able to have the strength that's necessary when they feel weak yeah. to be able to draw on some, if you will, encouragement and joy that's mm-hmm. down deep within them. If they're able to have that faith and draw on who he is and allow him to be all that he wants to be through them in that moment, I think God says, yes, I'm for that. Absolutely. <laughs> that's awesome. I that's definitely a- find, you know, I, I often pray that they'll play to the top of their ability you know, um, and obviously that they don't get hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's definitely one of the things that That's I'm right. always like, oh, Jesus, keep them safe as they're out there. Yes. I, we put it, It's a game of risk. Mm-hmm. Thank God for his angels. Yes. Thank God for faith that we can call on those angelic beings continuing <laughs> to watch over us even when we're in a position of risk. Mm-hmm. It can minimize it, but it doesn't guarantee there isn't necessarily going to be injury. Sure. But as, but as people do... Uh, perform at a, a level of which they're not necessarily holding back, but giving their all. Usually, entry capability, a, a person getting injured, usually that risk factor, factor becomes less. That's it's those that are hesitant mm. and not necessarily willing to give their all into something, usually, they are the ones who end up on the wrong end of the stick. Mm. So what would be one tip, one piece of advice that you would give some moms whose sons love this game? Uh, Trust them. Okay. (laughs) You know, that they in turn, yes, I think that uh, trust is a a very important factor. 
but also continue to love them, mm -hmm. even when they happen to be not necessarily the nicest to be around. They might be tired. They might be mm -hmm. upset. They might be. They want. They might not be expressing themselves or communicating to you everything that they're going through and. Mm -hmm. And knowing that a woman would love to be able to hear more of the emotional aspect of what's going on inside of them right. versus the fact of what they're willing to give. But trust the factor that they they do know that you love them. Trust mm -hmm. the fact that them knowing that you love them, they in turn might be limited in the way they're expressing their love, but they do appreciate you and love you for who you are and all that you do. Well, thank you. Those are very kind words and very encouraging. And we never even mentioned all the championships, state championships <laughs> I know, I know. that you were a part of. How many were you able to be a part of the team? Well, as far as district championships, there's numerous throughout mm -hmm. the whole career. But coming to uh, Lake Travis, we had the opportunity to take the team and community which in 2003 is when I landed here with Jeff okay. Dykus. Prior to that, 2001, 2002, prior to us getting, they only won one game out of 20. Oh, wow. And so the mentality, and also they happened to have a player that was, if you will, the poster child for drunk driving. Oh. Oh. It was sad. Mm. He happened to be in that state on 71, crossed the if you will, the double yellow, and hit a car in which there were five girls in. And oh, no. the, yeah, it was sad. It was mm. sad. And one of them happened to be, they were all, several of them were killed. And then one was burned 90% of her body. And she happened to be the poster child on posters saying, you know, with sad students yeah. against, and mothers mad, you know, mothers mm -hmm. against drunk driving and yes. sad. And it so happened that he went to jail for it, but they happened to, at one point in time, promote the factor of taking the stand as he came to a place of repentance in his life and said, yes, mm. you know, he took a stand and spoke with her against drunk driving. So that atmosphere, that was, a, and the affluency was oppressing the whole area yeah. and that, and people were kind of down on athletics. So we came in and here it was, they were uh, one in 19, and there was a negative attitude as far as the community is concerned concerning athletics. There was the right way, there was the wrong way, and there was the lake way. Wow. <laughs> and the lake way was, all right, enjoy the lake, enjoy everything else. Didn't necessarily gotcha. didn't have to have discipline in your life. Mm. And so we came in, and Coach Dykus and the staff they brought in, which was an excellent staff, were, were willing to pay the price to draw the line in the sand and mm -hmm. say, hey, you're going to do it our way or highway and in doing that you know uh, there happened to be players that ha would had been qualified for all district and there were three seniors that decided they didn't want to do it our way and so they were shown the door wow. and as soon as that was done here came the lawsuits from the mm. parents in the community that had this lackadaisical attitude expecting that there's entitlement so with that uh, the school board, superintendent, head coach, the athletic director, we all stood aground. And Together, that changed. Yeah. That was, the, if you will, the match that lit the fire, that mm. caused the passion. Because after we started out that year with what was called Midnight Madness. Midnight okay. Madness is when the first day that you're eligible to start practicing, we started at 12.01 a.m. with a practice. 
Wow. We had a practice at 1201, and then we had another practice at 3 a.m. in the morning, and another one oh, at 6. Goodness. We had three practices, and they were able to come sleep and, you know, rest, and we fed them burritos, et cetera, et cetera, mm. but was able to get the, the, if you will, the change of mentality mm-hmm. that we had to, what they had to pay that price to be able to win. And so uh, the kids knew that we cared for them. And they had that sense, and the parents started seeing that there was a genuine love toward the players, and the players were also catching that enthusiasm, that love, and loving one another. And so there was a unity and a chemistry that they hadn't seen. And so that first year in the season, we went three and seven, but the seven losses we had, the span of the point difference on the losses mm-hmm. was 21 points oh, so wow. games that we lose by one point or three mm-hmm. points or whatever mm-hmm. so we were in everything that we every game that we played then the following year 2004 and 2005 we were eight and three eight and three we actually started getting into the playoffs and uh-huh. then 2005 2006 same thing you know we were 11 and one and then it was uh i think it was 2007 we had a a funeral service not for a player, but for all the fears that all the mm. players had had up to that point. We took all the game film of the lost playoff games that we had, and we, in turn, had a little funeral service at the, one of the hills up in the practice fields, and wow. we put the past behind us. Oh, that's so cool. That, and that was mm-hmm. 2007 when we did that, 2007, wow. and that's the first year we had a state championship. And then we went 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011. Incredible. Five of them in a row. So that's it was a incredible. Great well, there were three different head coaches, too, that happened to be involved with that. So it was a wonderful thing. Oh, I had the opportunity amazing. to be one of the common threads that was through it all. Yeah. Yes. It was exciting. Oh, well, thank you for sharing a little bit of yeah. the story yes. of what it took to turn that around. Mm-hmm. You know, we moved into the area and are just being able to take advantage but had no idea what the story is of the foundation of how that got built. So right. thank you for sharing that. Oh, you're That's welcome. Awesome. And the fact that once it, the momentum of that was taking place in the football team, the fine arts caught it, mm-hmm. the other athletic programs caught it, volleyball, golf, baseball, etc. Mm-hmm. And it became a culture aspect of the community. And so here we are. Lake Travis is known for what it is now. That's <laughs> that's really neat. That's really neat. Well, thank you for the part that you played well, in making pleasure. all that happen. My pleasure. I know life is busy, so thank you for spending time with us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment and rate us. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode. You can always follow me on Instagram at Texas Football Mom. I'm Kathleen Estes, reminding you to find joy in whatever season you are in today and to always celebrate life's first downs.